and welcome to yet another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina yeah. Cook. I am the Indian Keith Nobles. And you're just jumping right in there. That's right. <laughs> so, so excited to do this episode today. Yes. Welcome. Glad that you're here. Boy, this is episode 12. Can you believe it? Yeah, we're getting up there. We're getting up there. We're At least we're in the double digits and this yeah. is kind of nice. And yeah. A couple people have listened, so I, I hope that y'all are, are enjoying all this. You know, and, and again, you know, if you, this is the first time that you've uh, you've joined us, you know, this this podcast is really, Keith, it's, a, it's about creating that framework for people to be able to understand and sort of reverse engineer what it is that the progressive left is doing in our nation, right? Yeah, I understand there's a, it looks like madness because it is, but at least there's a methodology to their madness. This is true, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode, we wanted to cover the politics of envy. And this, this sprang out of our last episode. We were talking about crime and, uh, and I brought up strain theory, which is a, a sociological theory that tries to explain the sociological roots anyway of crime um, in, in that, you know, when there's a high contrast between wealth and, and poverty and they're, they're close together geographically uh, often or, or, you know, psychologically, I guess, as well, that that provides incentives, uh, I guess, or, or at least an explanation for crime. It's, it's a sociological theory. And, you know, as we were talking last week, and, and I just sort of blurted it out, I said, let's do our next episode on the politics of envy, because the, the progressive left, in my view, kind of takes that strain and amplifies it for their own ends, and tries to make everyone feel like that strain is there. And so they have to either commit crime or invest, you know, all of their energy in the the powers that be so that 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 strain can be relieved. Right. Yeah, I think it was a paraphrase. Robert Bork has said a uh, society smothered by laws and seeking release of moral chaos is unlikely to be happy or stable. Right. And, and so the progressives always smother opportunity. With laws. I mean, I think we, we mentioned <laughs> that in 20 years, we passed 89,000 new federal regulations. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're smothered. Opportunity is smothered. Yeah. And progressivism will advocate at the point it's trying to gain power, not once it has power, but once it's trying to gain power, moral chaos. Yeah. It's, it's a well-trod path they are traveling. It has happened more than once in, in yes. history. <laughs> this is very true. Yes. Well, and, and stirring up envy is is sort of the the tool of those who aspire to lord it over other men. I mean, this is this is an age old story. Well, it is an age old story. It has a new twist, and we we discussed that at length last episode. And that is all these nihilistic ideologies, right? Progressivism, Nazism, fascism, communism seek to break the connection between decision and consequence. Right. And, and they say these consequences are artificially created to oppress you and they aren't legitimate. So stealing, be that legally or illegally, because politics of envy is really the argument you should be able to steal legally. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing yeah. legally or illegally is not something that produces bad consequences. You're fighting the oppression of these artificial bad consequences other people have placed upon you. Right. That's sort of a reverse engineering thing, isn't it? I mean, it's the ultimate end is Marxism and, and, and you know, implementing that. So well, that or, or one have, of these varieties, one of these one of these varieties so that 
there are very, very few people, the privileged few, who will be in control of everyone else. Yeah. And that is definitely an age old story. Yes. And and so the the nihilism or the, you know, the breaking of that consequence, you know, that the choice and consequence link, cause and effect link, breaking reality yes. is really what it is. Right. That's just sort of the flavor of the month kind of thing. Well, the flavor of the century kind of thing. Yeah. Um you know, the, and how they're trying to do that. But, you know, stirring up class warfare, stirring up, you know, one group against another, dividing us against each other and then pitting us against each other. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, that's how they achieve whatever flavor of ism they're trying to get to. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. So let's let's start with a definition, as I like to do, because I always like to do that. Let's define what we're talking about when we say the politics of envy. How would you define the politics of envy? Oh, I, I think it's really simple. Okay. Right. You're justifying in ideological terms the most, one of the most base human desires, which is greed. Yeah. Right. But, but as we mentioned before, they put the twist on it that it's not just that you're greedy. No, no, no. They'll never use the word greed. No, no. Right. right. You're oppressed because others have more. Did you? It's <laughs> very I, true. I, I mean, that's that's really all it is, and it's appealing to this base greed that it's not your fault that others have more than you. And of course, it's it's an entirely relative situation because Charlie Munger pointed out not too long ago, since World War II, the standard of living in the United States has increased by about six hundred percent. Even the poorest people in the country have what most people could not have imagined exactly. 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Right. So it's not any kind of objective scale. Of course, it's not objective because they're nihilist. Right. <laughs> they re- reject the objective. <laughs> it's, it's the belief that, yeah, it's all comparative. If someone else has more than you do, it means you have been oppressed. Right. Even if it's a dollar more than you have. It doesn't matter. That dollar signifies their impression, their oppression of you. Yes. Well, and it's not even just uh, money. I mean, it's it's, you know, the the potential to make money, really, um, which they term as privilege. Well, you know, I mean, there's there's other other elements in there. I mean, it, they'll, they'll stir up envy no matter what. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter what the, no, what no, the no. actual reality is. That's right. It's just a target of opportunity. But uh, it's good to remind people, right, as with all of these things, progressivism, communism, Nazism, fascism, right. okay, they are not truth-based systems. Nope. They are not fact-based systems. Nope. They are not moral-based systems. They are power-based systems. Right. It's all about the pursuit of power. So what's real and not real, true and not true, what makes things better, makes things worse, is an irrelevancy to them. Right. All that matters is, does it advance our power? Right. Yes. Yeah. And thus, everything is politics. Yes. Everything, everything is politics. That, that's where we come back to the constant harping about income inequality or wealth inequality or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And this is this is where they get the Occupy Wall Street movement. You know, we are the 99 percent because the one percent is the wealthy. Right. Um, this is where we get Thomas Piketty and his book Capital in the 21st Century, um, which claims that the concentration of wealth is a feature of capitalism, that if you want to get away from that concentration, you have to get away from capitalism, Well, <laughs> which was well received in, in academic circles. Surprise, surprise. And that's just a blatant absurdity. Right. Right. And, and here's why. We do not have actual genuine capitalism. No. No. And so it's an age old tactic of these nihilistic ideas. Right. I mean, we used this analogy before. And it's just so apropos. Right. These are the people you invite to your pool party. 
they pee in the pool. And they go around telling all the other guests that somebody peed in the pool without <laughs> ever admitting they are the ones who peed in the pool. Yes. Right? Yes. So you look at things like the Federal Reserve, yeah. income tax. <laughs> These are all things that were progressive ideas. Right. So if you don't have capitalism, because the basic value of money is being indirectly set by the Federal Reserve... Whose fault is that? It wasn't a capitalist fault. No. It was a progressive's fault. They Bingo. wanted that. Bingo. Right? And, and so to say that leads to this huge wealth gap, which the Federal Reserve absolutely has led to an enormous wealth gap. Mm-hmm. It's not because capitalists wanted that. It's because, because the Federal Reserve yeah, wanted it. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's right. It was all a progressive idea in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson did this. Right? I mean, yep. it wasn't George Washington. <laughs> I mean, you think back, I think back on what I believe is probably the golden age of capitalism in America, which would have been uh, Reconstruction era. I mean, I kind of think that that's when we saw, you know, the the westward expansion, especially, you know, see people literally picking themselves up by their bootstraps and creating wealth out of out of the land, out of the resources that were here and doing yeah, and, and Of course, this is, you know, a common argument now. You hear people like uh, AOC saying, well, you can't raise yourself up by the bootstraps. Right. Well, there she is absolutely correct. You cannot raise yourself up by the bootstraps if you adopt these nihilistic ideas. Right. Right. But you can raise yourself up by your bootstraps if you adopt the classical model of thinking right. that I'm going to use my moral agency to make decisions that help me thrive. Right. Right. It's really simple. And and you'll find out over the course of a life, right, that you have very much raised yourself up by the bootstraps. But you can't get there by listening to AOC. We, uh, I think we mentioned before, and it's worth revisiting. Okay. So just statistically speaking. Okay. If you finish high school, graduate from high school. If you don't commit a felony, if you don't have a child out of wedlock, if you don't engage in substance abuse, if you get a job, your first job as a teenager and stay on that job for at least a year, and you get married, stay married, your chances of dying in poverty in this country are about the same as getting hit by lightning. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a statistical reality. But you have to make decisions to do all that's of right. those things. These are all decisions you, you make using your moral agency. Right. Right. And, and that's why progressives can't talk about this. Right. Exactly. They they treat wealth in much the same way as they treat history. They think it's just this thing that happens. It's not a product of decisions. It's not a product of wisdom and experience and any of that. They think it's just something that happens as wealth and that the wealthy people are not the people who make good decisions. They think they're just the selfish people. And they honestly, genuinely believe this idea of hoarding wealth. Not right. that wealth needs to be created anew every day, but but they make one other distinction that's important, right? Progressives always confuse wealth and money. True. Right? So let's be clear. Okay. There's no limit to how much money can be created, but none of that increases wealth. Right. Right? <laughs> okay. Wealth is created by human beings. Money is created by other entities like banks or governments. Right. Right? These are... Wealth Two different is, concepts. It's a measure of value. Money is just an exchange. Yeah, yeah. And they, it's a store of value. It's not a creation of value. That's right. And yeah. every time progressives talk about wealth and wealth disparity, which goes right down to the politics of envy, they're talking about money, not actual wealth. This is true. Yeah. Well, they, and you read some of the, I, I mentioned uh, Capital, the book by uh, 
by Piketty earlier, which was written in 2014. That's part of the criticism is that he he confuses in that in that book. Yes. Wealth and money. No, exactly. I mean, it's not in in my opinion, it is not an unintentional confusion. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that there aren't people who understand. They just progressive ideas find it inconvenient to understand the difference between wealth and money. Right. Well, and because they can then hide the shuffling of wealth to their cronies. Uh, Yeah. In in part. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of the goal of a free market because mm-hmm. a free market is premised on the idea all men are created equal. Okay, this <laughs> yep. is the basic premise <laughs> of a free market. Yeah, right? which they but hate. part of the goal of a free market is to not have cronyism. Right. Okay. Progressives, cronyism is not a. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And then tax the profits from the cronyism. Right. That, that's exactly how they view it. They are pro cronyism. The whole system is predicated on cronyism because. The whole system of progressivism is predicated on whose ass you kiss. That's exactly right. The man in Washington. Yeah. I mean, that is that is absolutely 100 percent the the goal of of progressivism. And it's not a secret. Yeah. Progressivism is really built around the idea of you appoint a few people who think they are your superiors. Mm-hmm. The experts. And, yeah, the experts. <laughs> and yeah, having a. Uh, they creating incentives to have everyone else kiss their ass in exchange for favors. Yep. That's the whole system in a well, nutshell. Well, that's power. Yeah. That's that's it. That's power right there. Yeah. So that's that's exactly 100% what they're going for. So what you're saying and what I'm hearing is that they create this gap. They create this this gap that they complain about like you were talking about. They come and they peed in the pool and <laughs> made this happen. So what is the question that I want to ask you right now. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> How do we make people understand this, I guess? You know, I, I... We live in an age of tribalism. Yeah. And this is just another sign of that tribalism. Another way for tribes to be formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that's it, right? Yeah. Recent Dr. Pippa Malmgren said that uh, throughout history, humans have used two technologies to make order out of chaos, mm-hmm. numbers and narrative. It no longer seems to matter whether these tools help us arrive at truth. Instead, we now prefer to use both to confirm tribal allegiances. Right. And so the fact that we are, and all we're really saying here on this podcast is, let's look at everything rationally, right? That's really the message we have. Let's be honest and truthful and look at it rationally. And they consider that to be oppression. So if you suggest that, that's a sign that you're an oppressor. Right. It's just tribalism. It's just dividing people up on whatever artificial lines they can draw. Right. In the pursuit of power. I'm stuck in my head. I, I, I watched a short film earlier this week that was really, really fascinating. I'm, this gets into the issue of education to a degree, which we talked about. Um, we talked about a few episodes ago. But uh, the, the premise of the short film was the math teacher in elementary school gave an F to one of her students because he insisted that two plus two equals 22. And the parents came in and complained, said that they were going to take her job because she was trying to teach a version of truth that they did not agree with. Yeah. And I mean, it it escalated from there. It was super funny um, the way that they did it. And I'm like trying to think, how did this actually win awards and stuff? Because that establishment who, (laughs) who bestow the awards definitely push the 22 side of the narrative, you know, or that everybody has their own, their own truth. 
But that is exactly what we're talking about here. I mean, they're, they're insisting that two plus two equals 22. And that if we point that out, that it's not 22, it's four, you know, that, that we are doing the impressive. I mean, that's, that's the, the kind of logic that they're using because none of this stuff matters. None of no, reality does not matter no, at all. One hundred percent. They're nihilists. They have disowned reality in truth and evidence. And, and then you just keep going back to that. So they push this this idea of income inequality. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Do not connect it to you know working your ass off in high school and college and inventing things that that make life as a human better. Yeah, um, or, or just acquiring a skill other people value. Exactly. Yeah. And they cannot seem to connect that. I mean, the richest man in the world is Elon Musk. Well, yeah, he started like five companies that have made everything better, you know, and and that people value. Yeah, as much as uh, I may personally detest Bill Gates, Bill Gates made his billions because Microsoft. Right. Right. He came up with a company that made, not, not hyperbole, billions of people's lives easier. Yes. Right. I mean... Yes. Even if you've gone to Apple, you know, you probably still have Excel and <laughs> yeah. Word yeah. And, and these things, right? I mean, he just, yeah, I mean, he came up with a set of tools that made everyone's life easier. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And like literally raised the, the standard of living on the planet. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, that's, that's yeah, his, his money came from how much value Bingo. He added to the world. Bingo. Right. Not because he stole it from the backs on the backs of poor people. No, exactly. Exactly. And so and so these idiots like AOC, they don't criticize people like Bill Gates because Bill Gates is on their side. Wow. Yeah. Most billionaires are on their side. <laughs> right. And so this is this is something that I've never been able to figure out, Keith, is, is why do rich white people end up as liberals? How does that work? I think they find it to be socially acceptable. I think it protects their ego and their wealth. I mean, it's it's a if you really want to talk about greed and selfishness, right? right? People make a lot of money and they want to make it harder for other people to make a lot of money. Is that it? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's the same with these regulations, taxes, et cetera, that come from the federal government, right? You have large incumbent corporations have a place in the market, want to eliminate the potential of competition that will displace them. And so they make lots of contributions to shameful. I mean, politicians they- and bureaucrats in various ways that we may not see right off. <laughs> and then, yeah, they get taxes and regulations that make it impossible or difficult to be competed against, right? A lot, this last recently, a lot of discussion about Dodd-Frank. Yeah, <laughs> From almost 15 years ago. Yeah. Dodd-Frank put regulatory requirements on banks that most small banks could not fulfill. And there are about 1,500 small banks that no longer exist today, not because they weren't effective, not because they were not fulfilling their customers' needs, but purely because they could not afford to hire the number of people required to, do the to fill out the paperwork. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you'd imagine... Right. Oh, I, my former firm, I mean, that we, we were in a banking niche. They still are. And uh, yeah, I, you watch that, yeah. how much of, a, of an effect the, the compliance created on, on those small banks. So you're right. They just yeah, went away. Not a of, are you adding value? Yeah. Are you good at what you do? Right. Are you helping your customers? That, that became utter relevancy. Right. All that mattered was, could you 
hire enough people to fill out all the paperwork. Right. If you're a large corporation and somebody levies, I've seen this mm-hmm. in a large corporation. Somebody levies 20,000 pages of new regulations on you a year. And you go, okay, I'll hire 10 people. Mm-hmm. Take care of that 20,000 pages of regulation. Mm-hmm. If you're a small company, you can't do that. No. If you're, if you're a 15-person company, you may have a better idea, a better product than the large corporation. But you can't hire those people to do the regulation and stay in business. Which is exactly what the big corporations want. Exactly what they want. And you're not even going to start a company because you can't get the capital to fulfill the regulatory requirements. Again, it doesn't matter if you have a better idea. That that, that now becomes an irrelevancy. Right. Right. And 130 years ago, that was not a factor. Right. Right. And, And so you saw that whole era of people in America starting companies in there garages and mm-hmm. sheds and yeah i mean harley davidson started in a shed yeah henry ford same thing right, right. hewlett packard started in a garage yeah you just can't do that now simply because of, of the regulatory compliance requirements it's just too much it, it is it's just too much it is i mean they they raise these barriers to entry i mean there there are some natural barriers to entry in, in certain industries, sure. you know, for example, um, utilities, you know, I mean, there's going to be barriers to entry that right. have absolutely nothing to do with regulation. It's just a matter of infrastructure, you know, and being able to build out an infrastructure and you need the capital requirements for something like that. It's just, it's just prohibitive. Yes. But creating a new software shouldn't be. No, um, but, but again, we're back to the, the question yeah. uh, would it go a bit ago by Robert Bork, right? A smothering network of laws. Right. Right. I mean, that's what we have. How do you convince people that? Well, I, I think so. So the way forward. Sorry, I'm not making a lot of sense today. So, so the way forward seems to be you have it seems to be a two step process. So, I mean, one and these can run in parallel. But one thing is, is that you have to convince people that the pie is not fixed in size. No. And and I mean, that's that's one of the things. And I I I want to make this point. This is something that I observed a long time ago, that liberals and progressives believe that all of the economy, in fact, all of life is a zero sum game. Yeah. And and so that if somebody is successful, somebody else is therefore unsuccessful. I mean, that 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 is the only way that it works. And that is not the only way that it works. That's not that's not reality. That's not how it works. No, we're, we're right back to the idea of hoarding wealth. Some right. people hoard wealth. Not that wealth is created anew every single day. It is. Well, it, it is because people are providing value every single yes, day. And they right. do not. They refuse to understand that that's that is the creation of value, that, that that's what wealth is is the creation of value and they don't teach this in school they no. don't they don't teach it even in economics and in college they don't they do not make this plain and it should be it should be emblazoned on it, it should be so axiomatic that, that people should just be able to repeat it yeah it is not you know my success does not mean that you are unsuccessful it, it's not a zero-sum game no period. in fact your success is and you're adding value mm-hmm. is likely to make other people more successful. Right. Right. That's that's the whole point. I mean, back to the whole Bill Gates thing. Right. Right. I mean, that Bill Gates provided these tools. Right. Made so many other people successful. Well, there, I mean, there's whole industries that are based on what he built at Microsoft. Yeah. yeah but what, what it doesn't matter much what industry you're in. You probably have financially profited from what Microsoft has done exactly. over the decades. Exactly. Right. You, you don't have to be in the software business or the internet business or, right. You could be an accountant and you are making more money 
yep. over these decades because of what Microsoft did. And again, I'm like, by no means a fan of Bill Gates, but let's understand where he got that money from, from yeah. the value he added by doing this. Exactly. Exactly. And that's so, so it's getting people to really truly understand that. And we've got a lot stacked against us in terms of trying to convince people of that because the entire entertainment industry, the economic, you know, the, the education industry, media, politicians, everyone is pushing this idea of it being a zero sum game that if, if I'm unsuccessful, it's because somebody else was successful. So I need to tear them down. Well, no, I, mean, I don't know what to say. You are correct. Yeah. Right. That's I, I, I think the saddest thing. And it contributes to this whole zeitgeist of just depression. You know, I mean, and it's just it's it's sort of the defining characteristic of our age that it's just like this pervading sadness that shouldn't be here. Yeah, and it's it's well, it, it's a cultural thing. It is a cultural thing. Right. So one of the things I do, maybe it's kind of quirky, but <laughs> I listen a lot to old time radio shows. OK, things from the 30s, 40s, 50s, because you know, some of them are not very good, but lots of those things were were brilliantly done. Absolutely. Right. And, Absolutely. and there's nobody since who's as funny as Jack Benny or George Allen or Gracie Allen. This is true. Right. Gracie Allen's the funniest woman who ever lived. Right. <laughs> I mean, everything that came out of her mouth was comic gold. Uh-huh. Right. So but one of those uh, old time radio shows I was listening to once. I think it was a Bing Crosby show. Okay. And they spent probably the last three minutes. Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Jimmy Stewart, who were his guests wow. that day, right? Okay. Talking about how important the free market is. Right. It was a cultural value. Yeah. Right? How important this is that we have a free market. We not let these stupid commies subvert the free market, right? I mean, it's basically what they're saying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The free market provides opportunities for everybody according to your own talents and your own ability to to work and be creative and add value. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I read those things a little bit ago. Finish high school. Don't commit a felony. Don't have a child out of wedlock. Don't engage in substance abuse. Get a job as a teacher. Stay on the job for at least a year and get married. Stay married. Right. Okay. Like I said, chances of dying in poverty doesn't mean you didn't start in poverty. Yeah. You won't die in poverty. Right. Right. Statistically speaking, if you do those things, right, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Yep. None of those things matter. You do these things yep. and you will not die in poverty. Right. right? I mean, you think we'd just be drilling this into kids' heads. You think. Right? You don't want to be poor. Yeah. Make these decisions. Yeah. Right. But to your point about culture. Right. Right. This is their enemy. Facts that are use your moral agency and make good decisions. You will not die in poverty are not facts that are convenient to their solutions. Well, because people who do that think for themselves. People who do that are not making decisions that benefit their power base. No, well, that, that's right? right. And that's the whole thing, right? Right. Think for yourself. Will this decision help me thrive or not help me thrive? <laughs> Seems like right? a pretty basic question. It's a yeah. really basic question. It's what we're back to our episode conservatism. It's what we're here to conserve. Right. You have 5,000 years of history of what causes people to thrive and not to thrive. And we know what it is. Yeah, that's right. It's it's pretty evident yeah. what it is. And yeah, progressives have to oppose that. Right. And and this is the insanity of our times. Well, and and I mean we've talked before that they're they they have a need to tear down all the cultural touchstones that 
we have that make us a, a thriving society. So, you know, stability in the family obviously has to go away, you know, being able to um, stay out of jail and, you know, and those kinds of things. I mean, that's they, they want to upend everything every, yes. you know every institution has well, to be yeah, has to be torn down yeah, that's right they do that by appealing to people that they can break consequences away from decisions right that, that list i read it you know it's not that you have to do all those things not to die in poverty it's just the fewer of them you do the more challenging you make it for yourself exactly right but it, it's it's a well-known well-documented right. path with lots of objective evidence <laughs> to support it and of course progressives hate that <laughs> they, they they absolutely hate it because because it, this is not something that depends on them in order to create it, success. It impugns their entire entire philosophy. Right. Well, and let's notice what's not on that list. For example, college. You don't need no, a four year college degree. No, you just have to learn to do something other people value. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to stay out of jail and you have to play by the rules. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. And I mean, this is this is it's pretty basic. No, it's really basic. It's pretty basic. It's and really basic. And, and, you know, even 50 years ago, many more people were able to do these things that are doing them. Yeah. Today. Yeah. And that's sad. Oh, it's very sad. <laughs> it's, you know, in the last 50 years, we've quit teaching this. Right. Well, and it's because of the dead German philosophers coming to haunt us all. Well, exactly. You know? I mean, the exactly. nihilism that has taken over everything. You yeah. Know, cold from- yeah. I mean, if you spent one tenth the time in school teaching this, you taught right. people that they are gender fluid. <laughs> right. How, how much happier and better off society would be. But of course, if you teach people this, you philosophically and ideologically can't also be teaching them they are gender fluid. This is true. Right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's either or, right? You can't teach them to use a moral agency <laughs> and then teach them basically you can't use your moral agency to decide if this will cause you to thrive or not because everybody understands that idea is not going to help people right. thrive. Right. And this is probably the subject for another another podcast, but I, I believe it's, it's celebrating a mental illness and that's, that's never going to be a good recipe for, for happiness and all that. But have you ever read Robert Heinlein? Are you a Heinlein? Oh, Are you yeah, a, yeah. You're a, a science fiction fan? Actually, he wrote some of those old time radio shows. He did? Oh yeah. Lots of those science fiction writers from that era. Okay. Made you their, just taught me something I did not know. Made their extra money <laughs> writing those sci-fi shows for radio. Now I know that he wrote uh, a movie Destination Moon. Yeah. And I, I have yet to see it. I want to see that. But um, I'm trying to think of the movie with the bugs that they did that was based on his book. Why am I having so much trouble thinking of it? The movie with the bugs. Um, I'm not. Bugs Bunny? Gonna, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thanks. Now I've got Bugs Bunny in my head. <laughs> I'm not thinking of what the what the name of the book is, but the movie was very, very, very different from the book. And in the book, the the universe that they lived that that he created that that they lived in in order to become a citizen of the United States you had to pass this this civics course that actually taught this stuff yeah basically it taught about all men are created equal and what exactly that means and then you also had to serve you had to serve in the armed forces or you had to serve in what what was you know his universe's equivalent of the peace corps or whatever but you had to serve after high school in order to earn the right to vote and to participate in civic life. And it seems to me, you know, the older I get, and maybe this is just, you know, 
my get off my lawn move moment. But it seems to me like that would be a very beneficial thing for us to to stop just awarding the franchise and stop just saying, you know, just by virtue of existing and breathing, you actually have to prove that you understand what it is that your vote means to this country. And, you know, and this, this stuff is part of it, this, you know, how to participate meaningfully in our economy, what it is that you are doing when you do that, what money means, what wealth means, what all of those things mean, and how that comes about, so that we could instill that in this next generation. I understand that's a pipe dream, but still, I I would love to see something like that happening. So, you know, I I went to school in a different era. And uh, when I was in eighth grade, the school district I went to, in order to finish eighth grade, go to high school, Mm -hmm. you had to take, it was called the constitution test. Oh, wow. At the end of the year, you spent basically what, what we now call like social studies, right? But you spent that entire year mm-hmm. studying the Constitution. Wow. That's all you did. Wow. Study it, right? Okay. Study the whole thing. And you had to take a test. You had to pass that test to advance to high school. Okay. And I look back and go, wow, why are we not doing that everywhere? Yeah, no kidding. Still today. Right. But as far as uh, having to serve, mm-hmm. there's a great deal of advantage when that occurs organically. Like there's less advantage when you force people to have to do that. Okay. I mean, just automatically force, right? So I've had a number of conversations over the years comparing our chaos today to the chaos of the 1960s. And since I am old enough to remember the 1960s, and actually all the way through that Watergate era. Okay. And people have argued, well, the chaos now is, then was worse than it is now. But there's something different about that. And to get to your point about having served, mm-hmm. okay, when I was 60s, 70s, a child growing up, Everybody, uh, adult men, my father's age, my friend's fathers, mm-hmm. all that whole group, my neighborhood, my school, my little league, right? Those fathers had all served in either World War II or Korea. Okay. They may not have agreed on any number of things, but they were not going to go to war with each other. Right. I mean, they had all seen Nazism, fascism, imperialism, and communism. Uh, up close and personal. And not one of them had come back and said, ooh, that's a good idea. Not one yeah. of them came back and said that was a good idea. Yeah. So they may have disagreed over any number of, of issues. Right. But they were not going to go to war with each other. Sure. Right. That was not ever something on the table for them to do. And they were the the age group at the time mm-hmm. that really controlled the levers of power. Sure. Right. They were all men in their primes. Yeah. That that We are missing that today. We are. Right. There is no such common experience that is bonding people together now as World War II and Korea at the time had bonded that generation who were the, right. the reigning adults in the 1960s and 70s together. Right. So I'd argue we don't have any adults right now, but that's <laughs> well, they're, they're far and few between. They are far and few, few and far between. Absolutely. OK, so I, I mentioned earlier, I think this is a, a two prong process. Um, so. The the first part is is convincing the world and convincing our our young generations that are coming up that it's not a zero sum game. You have to learn how to provide values, things that other people will value, right? Um, in order to you know reap the benefits out of the system. Okay, so that's 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 part of it. The other part of it is 
taking our boot off the neck of the, the, the folks who would like to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, yeah. getting rid of that regulation, getting rid of that smothering that you talk about from the board quote. And I, I, I think I've mentioned before that, you know, under under Trump. In Trump's administration, we made some progress on that. I think that's all been wiped out now under Biden. We made some progress moving forward on getting regulations off of the books. How do we do this wholesale? I mean, is there a way to just make it all go? Uh, you know, get rid of public schools. That'd be a start. <laughs> get rid of public schools. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah. That, that would be a start to it. Now, how is that going to get us to no regulation? We are, by and large, teaching children. Mm-hmm not economic truths about anything. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm astounded nearly every day. Yeah. I, I really am by how few people understand, either in theory or practice, how the government works, how the economy works, right? I mean, there's just so many misconceptions, even among Republicans, you know, among so-called conservatives mm-hmm. about how things work. Right. And inevitably what happens here, and Republicans and conservatives are absolutely not immune to this, by not understanding how basic things work, they put the blame when they don't work on people and things that are not responsible for that, right? I mean, this, yep. is, this is the first problem, <laughs> right? I yep. mean, really, the question is, how do you get people to learn, starting as children, how government is supposed to work, how it does work in theory and in practice, because mm-hmm. they're not necessarily the same things. And, and how does the economy actually work? Yeah. And, you know, you think you get these kids for 12 years, you can teach them this stuff, but they do not. Can't even teach them how to how to balance a checkbook no, or how I to do their taxes. I mean, we can, I literally can't get that Half these kids, far. you can teach them how to read. Yeah. So, you, you know, Which we've discussed at length. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing is just broken. Yeah. Starting there at education. Yeah. And then from that, I mean, you have to demonstrate the uh, the advantages of doing that. Right. And and those advantages are have been pretty clear here the last three years. If you look at red and blue states. <laughs> this is true. Right. I mean, you can really see the difference. Yeah. Right. And you can see um people are fleeing blue states for red states. Yeah. And the reason is because they, they understand you can't have a future in this overregulated nightmare of California and New York City. I mean, large corporations are leaving those states. Right. It's not just, you know, guy who wants to start a business can't possibly do it in California. I, I have a, a friend in California, a fellow Cherokee, and he's, he's a Democrat. <laughs> okay. And uh, he, he owns a business, owned a business. He's retired now, but he owned a business for a number of, long time, a few decades. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, they passed a regulation about door stops. Door stops? Yeah. To prop the doors open. Okay. Right. He had to go change all the door stops on his doors. And he told me, guys, he goes, I understand why you're a Republican now. <laughs> I mean, it's just the most ridiculous regulation. That's insane. Yeah. And so, yeah, we end up this particular doorstop and not that kind of doorstop, right. you know, to hold your doors open in a business. And he had to go change. He's like, this is just stupid. Why am I spending my time? I've had the same doorstop since, you know, 1982 or whatever. Right. Right. Why am I? Why, why change, would you want to do there's that? There's no regulation. Yeah. I have to change my door stops. But, but it's that kind of ridiculousness. That kind of ridiculousness. Yeah. And, and sadly, there's a lot of people don't feel directly that kind of ridiculousness. 
More and more do, though. Yes. More and more do every day because they get these politicians just don't have enough to do. So they make up stuff that it's it's insane. And so yes. that's, that's why we see, I think, you know, uh, <laughs> the next big political movement is going to come from parents. Probably. I, I really believe that because they're messing with our kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, from the pandemic on, uh, you know, on forward oh, and, oh, yeah. and then targeting parents who show up at school board meetings to talk about how the schools are treating their children and, you know, the FBI deciding that they're domestic terrorists, you know, that kind of bullshit is not, it's not going to last. So people are starting to see the effects of all of this regulation in different areas. Right. I mean, we saw it again with the pandemic. So many people, I think, got woken up in, in the course of all that, I, I feel like I don't know if it's going to last or not. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, this is what always kills these progressives is they can never control themselves. <laughs> always true. more and more and more. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, we, you and I, we're familiar. Yeah. You know, the situation with the eggs in Colorado. Oh, right. Gosh. The Wyoming state motto should now be we have eggs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. And you know? now that my hens are finally laying again, you know, it's yeah, like, you go about 10 miles over there and the price of eggs is 50 percent higher. Yeah. All simply, purely because of regulations. Yeah. And and they don't think who's that hurt the most. Guy making eight hundred thousand dollars a year, he isn't particularly he care. He doesn't care, right? He's going to go out and buy all the eggs that he wants. That's to. right. And, and our example we use for education, right? The twenty-four year old single mother working at Target with a five year old child—that's who that hurts. Exactly. Right? They they cannot. It's not they can't figure it out. They just don't care. They really don't. They, they don't care. They really don't yeah. until, but they pretend that they do every every two years. Well, yeah, they pretend they care collectively about them all. Right. Right. But they don't care that their energy policies are driving energy prices sky high. Right. I mean, we've gone so from Obama through the Trump administration, average price to drill a well in the United States came out to about $30 a barrel. You had to get $30 a barrel to pay for your pay the well, break even. Right. So now under Biden, it's up to about 75 a barrel. And that's just the price of bureaucrats and regulations. So there's no profit built into that Um, at all. No, anything under $75 a barrel retail, there is no incentive to drill a well. That's unbelievable. No, it is. And and that is purely the bureaucratic morass. And so when you hear Joe Biden say, for example, well, you know, we've leased these lands, but that's only part of the story. You've jacked up the cost of drilling a well to where it may not be profitable to drill a well on that land where five years ago, it would have been profitable. Right. And that's just cost us energy. And it just drives eventually the price of energy up ever higher. Right. And that hurts the 24-year-old single mother with five-year-old. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, right, the, the advantage Saudi Arabia has is not how much oil they have. It's how cheaply they, they can, can extract, extract that oil. Right. So Saudi Arabia drills for about $5 a barrel. Compared to our 75. Our 75. And we were at 30. Yeah. I mean, this is. No wonder. I mean, we have much more oil than they do. Yeah, Yes, we do. We we can be no, energy we, independent. We can have cheap energy for everybody in this country. And there is nothing that would help business and people who are poor more yeah. than that. Yeah. More than cheap energy. Right. Cheap energy drives economics. So if you actually wanted to close the income gap. The, the income inequality, if you actually wanted to rid the world of that, how do you do that? Well, you That's get rid the energy of, is part of it. Well, 
Well, okay, so Amazon be much broader than that. Okay. You get rid of all the regulatory agencies in the federal government. Okay. That's where you start. Now we're talking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. If California wants to tell its people you can't make money, but those people in Nevada or Wyoming can make money, Mm -hmm. let them tell them that. Let them stand up there and and campaign on that. Mm -hmm. Right. But you have uh, the federal government throttles states like Wyoming. Yeah. Just absolutely puts their hands around the throats of Wyoming and chokes them. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's that's what it is. And if that condition did not exist, you not only have a lot more prosperity and opportunity in this country, you would have a lot more competition between states for that prosperity. Which is what our founders intended. Yeah, exactly yeah. what they intended. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're in a, oh, New Hampshire, maybe there's not a lot of oil to drill like there is, say, in Wyoming. Right. Yeah. You would have other things you would be competing with states over. Right. It's they have granite. Oh, okay. <laughs> they have granite, right? Yeah. Uh, but, Not all but, I know about New Hampshire. Yeah. But, but I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, we have a federal government starting with Wilson, really accelerating with FDR and the New Deal that had this belief that their job was to manage economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that has morphed, especially with Obama, into believing their job was to throttle economic activity. For the wrong industries, you know. Well, for the people who weren't their friends. Yeah. Right? Me and Obama gave a speech and he said, we're going to reward our friends and punish our enemies. He gave a speech. He said that. When did he say that? A campaign speech in uh, 2012. Are you flipping kidding me? No, he actually said that. Oh, he goes, geez. yeah, we're going to reward our friends and punish our enemies. I, I mean, I, yeah, this is the whole, I, I mean, you go back to the division in this country. and It's not a division over... I mean, lots of us had lots of issues with what George W. Bush did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. But Obama made it explicit. Right. We're going to help you if you vote for us. If you don't for, vote for us, we're going to punish you. Well, I, he was I mean, he was that explicit about it. When yeah. people tell tell you who they are, believe them the first time. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there were Americans that just, well, I don't care. I'm his friend. So he's going to help me. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, so again, we're right back to all men are created equal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the explicit renunciation of that idea. They are so far beyond actually upholding that. It's it's ridiculous. Well, they, they they outright reject it. Yeah. Right. I mean, the whole idea of wokeism, progressivism, is not to treat everyone equally. No. That's the entire premise of it. Right. Right. People who kiss our ass will treat well. People who don't kiss our ass. Your lives are not going to be good. I mean, that's that's how the entire model has worked. Every place these ideas have been attempted. That is Stalin's Russia, right yeah, there. Well, not Hitler's Germany or Mussolini's right. Italy or Mao's China or Castro's Cuba, and it's yeah, it, it's what it is now today. Yeah, right. So I, I mean, and that's what we're seeing. We've come far afield of of the politics of greed, but politics of envy. Politics of envy. I'm thinking about East Palestine, Ohio where the derailment was yeah, and, and uh, the, the chemicals and the cancer causing carcinogenic chemicals that have all been released there. Biden's EPA is deliberately not testing for those chemicals and for, for known carcinogens from what happened and what they did in East Palestine because East Palestine voted for Trump. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I think that's, that was pretty blatant. Yeah, what they're so, doing. I, I don't know enough about 
those chemicals and how persistent they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just don't, right? It's completely out of anything I have any knowledge about whatsoever, sure. right? That the governor seems to think things are okay. Okay. Right? Well, the governor doesn't live in East Palestine. Well, he lives no, in Columbus. Let's assume he has a more vested interest <laughs> that Joe Biden has, right? So I, I don't know how much of this is so, but, well, I'll just be honest. I don't know how much danger or threat there actually is because right. I don't understand the chemicals. I don't understand the chemistry. I mean, I just, I, I just don't know anything about that. I'm a CPA and I don't either, but I, I do listen to what people are saying about this um, right. on TV. And, you know, I, I have a general distrust of, of experts at this point in time, but. And, and that's, that's the problem we have. Yeah. Right. I mean, just across the board. Yeah. We, we just have a devastating lack of trust in society at large. You can't believe anybody. Well, it seems like, you know, everybody and like you were talking about earlier, math and narrative, you know, and everybody use it, uses it to signal for, for tribalism, including Republicans, including Republicans. And, and I'm probably guilty of it myself. Everybody. And maybe this could be our next uh, episode, <laughs> but because we really should talk about this connection. Right. If you're going to have liberty and freedom and free markets, mm -hmm. the precursor to that is trust. And you can't have trust if you don't have truth. This is true. Right? And we are just awash in bullshit. <laughs> and, 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 and not just the government level, all around us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All around us. Yeah. I, back before Christmas, there was somebody I, I know just very casually, hardly know them at all. And somebody else asked me what I thought they should get this person I very casually know for Christmas as a gift. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't really know him. I go, well, what's he like to do? And, and they said, well, he mostly spends his time on the internet talking to women. <laughs> And I said, well, <laughs> buy him a catfish. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I like just, it. <laughs> nobody trusts anybody unless they just actually really know them. Right. Right? I mean, we're just full of mistrust and distrust. And we punish people for telling the truth because we don't believe it when we hear it. Yeah, this is true. And... uh yeah, we get very little incentive for anybody to tell the truth, because if you're going to destroy and punish them for telling the truth, because maybe what you believed wasn't the truth and you don't like that being exposed. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is where we're at as a society. You have to restore trust, which means you have to restore truth to have freedom, liberty and free markets. Mm -hmm. So back to our politics of envy. Right. If, if nobody trusts anybody. All right. You it's easy to sell it. You're being oppressed because those is. people are untrustworthy. Yeah. Right. And that that responsibility falls on Republicans. Right. We expect the progressives, these nihilists to be disassociated from truth and reality. Right. Right. But there's no reason for no. Republicans to be disassociated from truth and reality yet. It's just endless bullshit being spewed. Yeah. God, I'm enough of a conspiracy theorist to believe that the truth is being sold by Republicans and we're not being believed. You know, I'm thinking specifically of like elections, but I know that you and I aren't 100 percent on the same page on that. But, you know, it's just what if we are telling the truth? Well, and, and we're being vilified for it. We need objective evidence. We're selling the truth. Yeah. Right. That's well, that's what I mean. It, it's gotten so crazy in Republican circles. That lack of evidence is now considered to be evidence. Yeah. People you know who will remain nameless. <laughs> a few years ago, I was sitting at a table with, they are all, I mean, not nationally famous, but rather prominent Republicans. Mm -hmm. People you would know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sitting at a table. And there was a particular Republican politician who had voted away they did not like. 
And they were sitting there debating who got to this person to turn them. And I'm like, oh, no. so I had talked to this person not too long before this. OK. Right. And I'm like, well, why don't you just call this person out? They're really accessible. Send them an email. They'll meet with you. and You can talk to them about this. Like, no, they would just lie to us. So lack of evidence <laughs> becomes evidence for whatever people want to believe. It's just it's absolutely insane. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Just ask this person why they did that. And they'll tell you. No, we I'm don't have that level of trust. Yeah. No, no, no. And that's within the Republican Party for what somebody who they would have considered a very trustworthy, esteemed person mm -hmm. who just voted the way they did not think they should vote once. Right. And all of a sudden, who turned them? Yeah. You know, who who got to them? Yeah. Why are they summing us out? I mean, it's a level of, of irrational paranoia in, in the GOP that is destroying liberty and freedom. Yeah. It, it just really is. Because liberty and freedom comes back to tr having trust. Yes. And trust has to have truth. Doesn't mean I have to agree with you. We just have to. Uh, we don't have to agree on what the truth is. We just both have to agree on a sincere pursuit of what that truth Would may be. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. And and we can't even do that. Well, let's not ruin the next episode then. Let's let's definitely talk about <laughs> let's definitely talk about trust and how you restore trust. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you're right. It has been destroyed. Not not just destroyed. It has had gasoline poured on it with, the, you know, a match has been struck. It has been put through a tornado. <laughs> no, no. It, trust is gone. It has. And, and the fact that oh. trust is gone is why liberty, freedom and free markets are gone. Simple connection there. So the precursor that has to happen to those things. Yeah. It's why those those founding fathers say, you know, swore their their trust to each other. Right. Right. This is why they did that, because that's what had to exist. Right. So their yeah. lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor. And they believed that each of them had each other's back. Yeah. And, and, and they may not have liked each have. other. They may not have agreed, but they would have each other's back. Yep. Let's talk about that next time for sure. OK, <laughs> so. Well, thanks, Keith, for for helping me um, explore this subject. It's uh, definitely one that's near and dear to my heart, this politics of envy. It's depressing. Can we read one more thing? Before yeah, I... you can read whatever you okay. want. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Milton Friedman, what? just define this. Okay. okay. Everywhere in the world, there are gross inequities of income and wealth. They offend most of us. Few can fail to be moved by the contrast between the luxury enjoyed by some and the grinding poverty suffered by others. In the past century, a myth has grown up that free market capitalism, equality of opportunity as we have interpreted that term. It's important. Free market capitalism is the equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay, increases such inequalities that it is a system under which the rich exploit the poor. Right. Nothing can be further from the truth. A society that puts equality in the sense of equality of outcome ahead of freedom will end up with neither equality nor freedom. The use of force to achieve equality will destroy freedom and the force introduced for good purposes will end up in the hands of people who will use it to promote their own interest. And if that is not where we are, I, I don't know what describes it, because we really need, if we're not talking about the politics of envy, free market is all men created equal put into play. Yeah. Right. That's really what it is. 100%. Right? Yeah. The government is not going to put thumb on the scale for you or for me. Right. Not going to hinder you, not going to hinder me. Got to protect property rights and have a fair playing field for wherever your talents and enthusiasm and work ethic and creativity can take you. Yeah. It's it's the only way it works fairly. Well, and, and I just, the thing I keep going back to is capitalism is the only system, the only system that distributes resources according to how much good you can do to your fellow man. It's the only system where you get paid 
for serving other people. Bingo. That's it. Bingo. Right? Yeah. The only economic system that's not predicated on force, coercion, and compulsion. Exactly. Yeah. And and what they're trying to implement is force, coercion, and compulsion. I mean, and that's that's just yeah, and appealing to this base instinct of greed mm-hmm. and jealousy is what the politics of envy really is. It's yeah. that's it. It's envy. You have something, I want it, I'm yeah. gonna use the government to give it to me. Doesn't matter. How, it's pretty simple. You, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much you worked to get that and how much I did not work to get that. I'm entitled to what you worked for. Thomas Sowell, I think it was, who said, How much of somebody else's productivity are you entitled to? Yeah. Um, in, in terms of fairness. Yeah. And I'm getting the quote wrong, but no, yeah. No, no, he, he and Walter Williams both have said the same thing. Yeah. How much of what I earn do you deserve and why? Yeah. Yeah. How much of what I've worked for do you deserve and why? That's the base question. And that's the question that they never, ever, ever want to answer. No. And they cannot answer it truthfully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what Thomas Sowell says, what is your fair share of what someone else has worked for? Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Keith. Well, thank you for yet another exciting discussion. <laughs> well, thank you. We, we have so much fun. Please tune in next time and we will be talking about trust. That's right. 